starting on January 11th, Health Power will be posting every Tuesday instead of every Tuesday and Thursday. On Thursdays, starting on the 12th, you're going to get Dog Eared with Lisa Davis. Say write books about dogs. I interview them. So if you're a dog lover, I hope you will check it out. Tell your friends, tell your family. Also tell them about Health Power. So again, Health Power every Tuesday, Dog Eared with Lisa Davis every Thursday. Hope you'll tune in. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis, and on today's episode, we do talk about Sarah Hodgson's book, Puppies for Dummies, but we also talk about dogs in general and training tips for dogs of all ages. So even if you don't have a puppy, you'll want to listen to this episode. Thanks so much. Does your dog kind of avoid you when they're sick? Or do they cuddle up to you to feel better? You know, my natural inclination, I thought, because I have a child, is when my daughter was feeling sick when she was young, she would cuddle up to me. My dog, Blue, has a virus. He has a fever. He has a gastrointestinal issue at the moment. And when I go to sit with him, he moves. Or if I do sit next to him, he turns his head away from me and kind of shoves it in the couch. And I found that really odd. So I'm just curious if maybe that's just the natural way. My husband thinks, listen, he doesn't feel well. He just wants to be left alone. So I'm curious. Let me know. You can tweet me or DM me wherever you follow me at Lisa Davis MPH. I'd be really curious to know. But luckily, I have a wonderful holistic vet. He's got some supplements. He's going to just rest today. And we're just going to keep our eye on him. And that is what's going on with my baby. But today... We're talking about puppies. I just read a book, told me everything I would ever need to know about a puppy if I decide to get one. Puppies for Dummies, fourth edition. Understand your puppy's actions. Use positive reinforcement techniques for training. Redirect problem behaviors by Sarah Hodgson. Sarah joins us now. Hi, welcome to Dog Ear with Lisa Davis. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to meet you and be here. It's great to have you on. Okay, so the first question I ask every guest is, when did your love of dogs begin? So it's interesting that you ask that. And people always say to me, oh, you must have had an amazing childhood. And your parents must be so proud. And my real attachment to dogs started, it was, it's all animals, really. I do work with cats. I help people who are having trouble with their um rabbits and their guinea pigs my i have always prioritized the company of animals over the company of people because i lived a somewhat lonely childhood and i never i don't say i lived a neglected or deprived or sad childhood i say a lonely childhood relating to people because I had a few older siblings. I was the last one home. My father had passed away. My mother needed to work a couple of jobs. And I spent a lot of time in the company of different animals. And I learned to communicate with them at a very young age. And I always do this for people and people are kind of freaked out by it. But the very first utterance I made was not to a person. It was to our guinea pig, Peter Pig. I will do it for you now. That's amazing. And I would talk to that pig for hours. I could do the squeals. And I mean, literally, I have to drink water now. It comes from this place around my thorax. 
And so I was raised in a place where there were a lot of dogs around. I had dogs. Um, and I literally say dogs taught me the best qualities of being human. They taught me forgiveness. They taught me patience. They taught me to really relish adventures and freedom and exploring. Um, and so it started very young. And then I started training dogs around the age of eight. I had a business by the time I was 12, oh training dogs in the neighborhood. And it evolved from there. So at a very young age, I had my first book. I think I was 21. And I was working under Joe Michael Evans, who was the original monk of New Skeet. He's now passed, but he had a lot of books. I just... I just was very blessed with doors opening and no resistance to running through whatever door opened for me. And again, I credit that for dogs. They're always up for whatever time and involvement we have to spend with them. Yeah, dogs are so amazing. You know, it, it's going to be hard to avoid certain stories that I've told before. So I'll keep this brief. Everyone knows who's listened. My mom is afraid of dogs. And the thing that's so heartbreaking is that she was chronically ill. And if she had had a dog by her side, what a difference it would have oh made. Oh my God, what a difference. I have dreams now. She died um, in her 50s in 1995. And I have dreams that she's alive and she loves my dogs and she cuddles my dogs. And I wake up and I'm happy and then I'm so crushed because I think that, you know, I don't know where her fear came from. I think she may have had an incident when she was little, but it, it just breaks my heart because dogs bring us so much joy and so much solace solace oh we think on the same wave you and me i was gonna say solace and you said it <laughs> i love it it's so true so i know you're the only one who can see me but right now Aww. that's my oldest dog my other two dogs are just off screen on the couch cuddled up but i have four dogs and i call them my halo it's literally wherever i go i have six cats four dogs and they're my halo. Wherever I am, they seem to just gravitate. And the energy they give me is so healing and, and just so reassuring. And this sense of calm that's in our household really start, starts in puppyhood. You can really coach it in when they're young. Yeah, it's true. You know, I'm curious. When your dogs are sick, do they pull away? It depends on the dog. I think it depends. It, I think the bodies, I mean, I always say this to people, the body's but a house for the soul. Whether you're talking about a tortoise or a dog or a person, you know, and every, everybody is different and also illnesses are different. So if it's an illness that's a body ache or a physical internal pain, they're not going to want, they're not going to long for touch. If it's simply a fever and, um, uh, there they would gravitate towards you just to reassure them so i think every animal is different and every illness is different i know when i have a toothache i don't want to be in the presence of anybody but you know if i just have a fever i'm you know can you bring me a soup can you bring me a tea <laughs> so i've always been afraid to get a puppy because the whole idea of a puppy that's going to wake me up and extra work. It's like this weird psychological thing that I need to break through. But having your book and going through it helped me so much because I realized like there is a guide to this. It, there is a way to do this. 
So one service that I offer is people only, I only do this one dog at a time. They send me their puppy straight from the breeder for one week only. And the first thing I do is I sleep train them. And this is what helps everybody realize is when you bring home a puppy, they are going through an intense growth phase for the first seven months and they need 20 hours of hibernation like rest a day so the biggest mistake people make is they bring home a puppy the first night the puppy cries out they take it out of the crate they take it outside every two hours biggest mistake in the book in one week i get a puppy sleeping 12 hours without interruption and here is the reason why when you bring a puppy straight from the litter they are accustomed to full body contact, heartbeats, nesting, and you bring them home and you put them in a bear crate with a flat mat, it is terrifying. They're waking up every two hours is calling out for their mother. It's their grieving period. The most important thing you not do is hyper arouse them by taking them out of the crate. It's very confusing and it creates a pattern of not being able to ride the sleep wave you know how we go into a deep sleep and then we come in a light sleep and then we fall now when they're crying out they're in the light sleep you don't want to be waking them up out of that you i take the first three days a puppy is home put the crate in the middle of my bed my husband is a saint and when that puppy wakes up and cries i don't do anything but put first of all a the crate is like a nest of stuffed animals and sweatshirts that smell like you there's um, this thing called the snuggle puppy that has a heartbeat. You can get one of those. But the crate is this nest of all body contact. So the puppy kind of nests in and feels like safe, tactily secure. Then the two hour, I don't care even if the puppy has an accident the first couple of nights. Every two hours, if that puppy just wakes up and is whining, I put my fingers in. I say, shh, shh, shh. Get the puppy back down into the sleep. Now, mind you, if the puppy wakes up and goes, woof, 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 it's repetitive barking. That's a quick, I need to get out of the crate. I don't want to go to the bathroom here. That's a run through. But that generally happens maybe in six to eight hour spurts. And that's a very quick out, run them outside or on the papers, put them back in. The puppy must be in the habit of sleeping a 12-hour sleep cycle at night from the beginning. And if you devote, as I do, I bring them in. I know how to raise a puppy. I can do it in my sleep. I'm like a baby nurse for puppies. I bring them in. I sleep train them. By the time they go home after one week, they are sleeping. And I'll tell you more about it and get you excited to have a puppy. I work with a lot of special needs children with um dogs and um we have therapy rabbits that we place with um children with special needs um that are raised literally imprinted from birth with human touch so they're calm and docile anyhow um the puppies when when they wake up they are on a 45 minute 45 to 90 minute it's average about an hour wake to sleep cycle so they wake up at seven, you feed them, you take them out, or papers, you feed them, you take them out to potty and play, 
Then they have some self-soothing time where they learn the most important early lesson, which is you are present, but you're not always accessible. So you wake them up, take them out, you feed them, take them out, you play with them. It's kind of parallel play in the beginning. Then they self-soothe with their own little toys while you do what you need to do. And within 45 minutes to an hour, they are already going into their sleep state. They go back in the crate which initially should be in a blacked out room. You're, you're uh, mirroring the inner sanctum of the den. You play sound canceling music and they are asleep for another two to three hours. Then they wake up and you repeat. We're out to potty, we're in to eat, we play engagement, we self-soothe, then we're back into sleep. And you stick to that pattern for the first month that puppy is home. Then it stretches a bit, but the goal is that you have and you create a restful routine for the puppy so they learn early on to trust their environment. It's not some jagged, chaotic, right. every day is different ritual. And it's primarily sleep-based because this is their intense growth phase. Wow, that's incredible. Okay, so that's good. So I'm gonna if I ever get a puppy, I'm gonna send them to you. <laughs> I'll drive wherever I have to go. We'll figure that out. Now in the book you write in Puppies for Dummies, uh, quote, regardless of where you begin, remember this. Puppies are a lot like babies. They need to be nurtured but not spoiled. They need to be loved but not overindulged. They need guidelines, not unlimited freedom. They need to play, but they also need limits. Your ability to reason and understand gives you the responsibility to make the necessary adaptations. You must be your puppy's leader, safekeeper, friend, and voice. Your efforts will forever be your reward. And in the book, you tell us exactly what to do to have this happen. It's not rocket science. I always say dog training isn't hard. Since when did we overthink loving a dog? It's like so fear-based now. And everybody I call is like frozen. They're like, should I get a dog? Shouldn't I? How much work? And I'm like, let me just map it out for you. And then you decide, can I do this? Can I not? Because it is important that, you know, you be able to schedule the puppyhood and you be able to be on a routine. You shouldn't get a dog if you're away every other week or, you know, you're working nights one day and you don't have anyone to cover. But once you have a routine down for your dog, and you can provide predictable outings four times a day and food and play times twice a day. They are restful. My animals rest from nine to four. When the pandemic hit and we were home all the time, two of my dogs developed separation anxiety within the first few weeks because they weren't getting enough sleep because they were always like, following us around and my husband was always walking in the middle of the day so they were like chronically overtired toddlers with teeth and that is what dog problems the the center core of a dog problem is a dog that's overstimulated overtired or or, or simply lacking any sense of predictability to base their life around now, when you choose a dog, when you choose a puppy, that is really important. And I've shared the story before. Now, number one, I've never had a puppy, but I got my first dog, Bailey, when I was 33. He was a pit mix, such a cutie. I just fell in love with him at the pound. I didn't know what he was. I just fell in love with him and I took him home. Then I let him pick our second dog because they got along so well. After they passed, I got a lab and I didn't know how much they shed or... <laughs> 
I tell you, I would have reconsidered. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love my Benji, but holy cow. And then we met Blue and I'm a pit fanatic and Benji and Blue got along and then he eventually became mine. So there was no planning and it all worked out, but that's not the case for everybody. So let's talk about how important it is to really know what breed and, and your personality and your lifestyle. Yeah. So I always um, tell people to like, think of writing a want ad, like what do you want to do with your dog? What do you want your day to look at? And then sh send, show that to me or process it in comparison to the different dogs you're considering. I'll right. give you a funny example. I had clients, they didn't talk to me before they did this. They had two Havanese that passed away. They wanted another dog. They decided to get two Whippets. Well, you couldn't have a more different experience. Whippets, as you know, are very prey-driven. They're very instinctive. They don't reference people. They're not big cuddlers. They like their personal space. Um, so they, you know, shoulda, coulda, woulda. One service I do offer is people come to me virtually or in person, and what we do is talk about it. Like, we talk oh, about, cool. okay, do you want a rescue? Um, what's involved in that? Uh uh, how much do you need to know about the dog beforehand? Even if you get a rescue, what breeds are, are predominantly, you know, in that rescue? And then you look at your lifestyle. So someone might say, well, you know, I have three kids under 10. We have a lot of activity in and out of the house. You're probably not going to want a protective breed who's going to be keeping score of all the comings and goings. You may not want a herding breed because they have uh, an obsessive compulsive component of keeping everything together and everybody together, you, you're going to want a more laid back dog breed that's more uh, group oriented. You know, the hounds love groups, um, the sporting breeds get along well with others. There are many other dogs uh, that, that are in the non-sporting, you know, the Havanese and the toy, but um the Bichon, dogs that are more inclusive to groups. Um, and then within a litter, so recently I had a, a family who had a child who had a brain tumor and mm. um, they needed the dog to be a service dog for this little boy. So we picked out a Havanese and I had a choice of five puppies. There was only one that was spot on. And I have pictures on my Instagram of that puppy lying upside down while I'm in my dentist and they're drilling at eight weeks old because that puppy's threshold to excitement barely exists. Whereas the other ones, if a pan dropped or somebody shouted, they were just up and looking around. So within a litter of puppies, there can be a dog that that shines for a Per a specific situation. Um, so there are different breeds, but you look at your lifestyle. Are you an active person? Then get an active dog. If you're a docile person, get a docile dog. So anyhow, those are all things I take into my head when I'm talking or working or, or recommending people, you know, think about what the dog breed was bred to do. And if you want that kind of energy in your life at this time. Right. Now, in part three, nurturing your puppy day to day, you write, I'm going to tell you a little secret. Your puppy, from the moment he meets you, will think of you as another dog. Your friends and family family will be thought of as dogs, too. 
Okay, so we have the ability to speciate. We can say, oh, this is a monkey. This is how the monkey will act. And this is a dog. And this is a rabbit. And rabbits are prey animals, so we have to move slowly around them because they'll run away. And dog is more socially domesticated and engaging, so they won't. And things like that. And we never stand face-to-face with a primate and show our teeth because they feel that's a sign of aggression. So we can speciate. Dogs and other animals don't. When when they, if we were to crack open their skull and look at their brain, their organ is very tiny. The majority of their headspace is sensory neurons and sensory bulbs. So their whole life, a dog's life is spent in sensory interpretation, you know, interpreting what's coming in. So when a dog greets us and we walk straight at a dog, quickly, especially a puppy, it can be viewed as threatening or as an invitation to play rough, like confrontational puppies will be face-to-face. But they have to interpret through their worldview what we're doing. And an example I always give is a puppy, you know, that is chronically ankle nipping or biting their shoes. And I'm like, remember, they don't necessarily view what goes on below your hip is attached to what goes on above your hip. We move through the world vertically, they are horizontal. So if every time they grab your shoelace, you bend over and you make a ruckus, to them, that's confrontational play. So it's going to reinforce the behavior. So I'm always thinking, okay, if I have a frightened dog that I'm working with or an aggressive dog, I have to walk backwards towards them so I don't trigger that fear or that frustration. So that's that's how I process the world, is how can we modify ourselves to make our dogs feel more safe or to teach them that a front-faced approach is not threatening. I always say hands are for giving, not for grabbing. So whenever I have a little dog or a new dog that's been rescued, I always tell people extend, always extend something positive to your dog for the first few weeks or when you're trying to teach them something new so they learn hands are not going to grab them and thus trigger that sympathetic fight or flight response. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And and you alluded to this in this, you write, in my opinion, the greatest gift you can give your puppy is a stress-free existence and you have to understand the world from his perspective, which you just filled us in on a bit. Uh, what are the best ways to do this? You talked about understanding the world, but what about giving him the stress-free existence, which I would assume is part of understanding his world, right? Like it's going to all go together. Exactly. Number one, make sure you are respecting your dog's biorhythm. Do not constant don't keep your dog up all day they don't always need to go to daycare daycare is good for socialization but make sure you find a daycare that has structured rest periods so when a dog gets the right amount of sleep which is about 16 to 18 hours a day depending on their age 20 when they're baby babies um make sure they get the right amount of sleep number two discover their passion If I want a Frisbee dog, but my dog likes tennis balls and doesn't like Frisbees, I'm going to have to make the shift. If I have a dog that loves to dig and really loves to dig, it's a happy release for them. I'm going to find a place we can go or our our entire, there's, I have a, probably a 20 by 12 sandpit in my backyard where we play volleyball, but it's mostly for the dogs to dig and the cats to go to the bathroom. So when they're outside, so, um, 
Find out what your dog loves and give them that adventure. I always say, if your dog is leash reactive, why are you walking them on a leash every day? Either address the issue or take them out on a long line to a field and let them run. You don't want to do things that stimulate dramatic rise, rises in uh, adrenaline. So if my dog is leash reactive and I walk them by the house where the dogs are barking every day and it frightens my dog, their, their brain is releasing adrenaline to deal with the fear of that situation. You find a different way to play with your dog or exercise your dog or fence in your backyard. Dogs, dogs that love to go on a leash walk should be taken on a leash walk. But if they don't like it, if they don't like leaving the den, which is your home, don't do it. So find out what lights up your dog's brain and give them outlets for that. Avoid things that create stress. Um, And stress internally is just a rise in adrenaline levels, that fight or flight response. Avoid things that do that. Um, You know, if you have a counter cruiser and it bothers you, um, remember, counters to a dog are just an outcropping. So if it bothers you, you're going to have to modify and put the stuff on your counters away. Um, you know, I have quick hacks for discouraging counter jumpers, but the first thing is don't leave stuff out on the counter. Um, <laughs> so that would be the answer to that question. Yeah, you know, it's funny. My, my I'm a total extrovert, and luckily so is my pity. And one of our favorite things to do is at least once a month, I'll take him on an adventure. We'll go on a day trip. It's like my favorite day of the month. We will go to the beach. He is good with every single dog, every single person, and he oh, love it. loves it. Oh, my. And I love it because I love talking to strangers. I love right. making chit-chat. I love seeing new things. And we went to Rockport last month in Massachusetts, which is absolutely stunning and we just had the best time and i also think it's really good for pitbull awareness because he's such a love and yeah. people are like oh my god and i'm like oh no trust me. oh people kind of pull away i'm like oh he's fine with other dogs and some people are still kind of resistant but other people are like oh okay and he he just knows like he just gently smells them and he's done that's it my lab on the other hand would love to go on those trips but i don't take him because he's a complete and utter spaz and if a dog growls at him he'll keep jumping on him if a, you if a dog growls at blue he will back up and cry. So I feel bad, but Benji's not going on our day trips with us, right? Like you have to know what to do. With Benji, he's also an extrovert and he he's not good at social referencing. So that's something you would have to teach him because he doesn't. So I always say it's like politics, right? If if you're a Democrat, you see the world full of Democrats and you cannot understand a Republican's worldview. The reverse is also true. A Republican cannot see your worldview. So if you take a lab and you put them with a shepherd and the shepherd is like back off, it's because the shepherd views that Benji is a danger. But Benji views the the dog-averse shepherd from his worldview and thus doesn't even pause to consider the cues he's giving. No, we have a, a pit bull mix named Wahoo. Mm-hmm. And he's he's just like your. I mean, he's just like Blue. He's just mush and and loves adventures and loves um, uh, day trips. But for some reason, the the pit bulls can play both sides of that. Some of them, and they do need excessive socialization. But they can play both sides of the coin, right? They can socially reference and mirror whatever the other dog is putting out there, right? So. 
it's dependent on the dog. With some dogs, you have to teach them. I do teach um, group dog training, puppy kindergarten. I do pet therapy class, and I have basic training classes. And I'm constantly talking about social referencing. The goal of training is that your dog will always reference you for cues on how to behave in different situations and all dogs are different right they all have different personalities but i think the best thing we can do is is you know give a little bit of our time to our dog because like like you said when you do something they love you feel the love coming right back to you yeah it's true i mean the thing with benji too he's nine he has horrible arthritis we're going to start him in aquatic therapy in a couple weeks he can't walk more than 15 minutes at a time I mean he's so stiff and so there's other issues too I got him at a year and nine months and his previous owners never trained him never socialized him blue I got blue when he was six months his trainer did you know or his trainer excuse me his his pet parent until I got him did do all the right things and then I got my little mush and so I feel like I should have done more with Benji. Although I have to say we had three different trainers. So we tried. I don't know. Are there dogs that just, if they don't have that young socialization, it's just more of a challenge and maybe we gave up too quick. I don't know. I'm so glad you brought that up because there is this period of intense, intense brain growth between zero and 12 weeks of age. And this phase is called the imprinting phase because whatever the puppy hears flows right through the reptilian part of their brain and makes a mirror image on their hippocampus. So anything that goes on during that stage becomes normal. And that phase is like an open funnel. I mean, you can bring, and people say, well, I can't bring my dog out until it's inoculated. I say, oh, phooey, get a sling like a baby, put the baby, put the dog in the sling Mm -hmm. or get a closed very kennel or whatever. Um, They have those big tents for big breeds. Get them out. Get them hearing, watching dogs at a dog park. Get them on a train. Get them in an elevator. Anything that would be normal for your life during this early phase that you bring them home between 8 and 12 weeks. Lean in. Take some time off. It is so critical. And people send me their puppies. I only take puppies between eight and 11 weeks of age, because that's what I know best. That's the best time to train a dog. All my, none of my dogs jump and people are like, how do you have all these dogs? They're so calm. They don't jump because they learn the four paw rule. Nothing happens unless you're on four paws and nothing happens unless you're on your happy mat. And every room has a happy mat and all good things happen to the dogs when they're on their happy mat. One, you know, you're, I'm doing the podcast and our podcast room and they have a big couch doesn't matter if it's a couch or not if i'd say this is your happy mat and i hold a treat and i say on your mat then they learn that oh when i want something i go on my happy mat and it's not negative reinforcement it's not positive reinforcement it's just the house rule you want attention you want me to open the gate you want me to open the crate You've got to be breathing normally and you have to be standing on four paws and then it happens. And when you teach an early puppy, eight, nine weeks, forever, they are trained to do that. When I send people home after they've spent a week or two here, they get a 30 page ebook with all the videos, all the instructions, and all they have to do is follow my lead. 
And people are always saying, oh my God, I'm going to need you coming over. I have so very few people who ever need a trainer again. Because when the dogs are trained, we lick skin. We sit on our mat. We sit down when we want the gate open. From the time they're babies, that's the best time. That's an imprinting time. And then you're good to go. Yeah. And so that's why I had such a struggle or have such a struggle with Benji. Because he was a year and nine months with like, he didn't he barely even knew sit. I mean, I don't know these people. I don't right. know what the hell they were doing, but thank goodness they surrendered him to the shelter. Right. So it's possible, but harder. Oh, to train an older dog. Yeah. The so the funnel. If you think of the funnel, that early imprinting, the funnel inverts, but it doesn't close. Okay. So the the training I do with older dog really focuses on parasympathetic, which is the rest and digest nervous system when we feel comfortable. And the sympathetic, uh, fight or flight, or excitement in his case, like what causes those dramatic shifts in adrenaline? How can we gradually socialize the dog, realizing it'll be a process, it won't just be a given like you can with a puppy, and then using words as a way to help the dog understand where to go and what to do so that in situations that trigger their hyperarousal, you can redirect them more calmly. I love zingers and my favorite zinger with a puppy or an adult dog or child is they're on the roller coaster, you're on the park bench. They're on the emotional, they're having an emotional tornado right now. You've got to stay on the park bench so that you can guide them through it. Okay. Oh, that is really good advice. All right. Let's talk about speaking doglish and conveying yourself as a top dog to your puppy. You write, doglish consists of three elements, eye contact, body language, and tone. This is the most important thing I tell people. And everybody's like, I never heard that. I actually heard the opposite. Oh, really? Yes. So I always tell people, the more you look at your dog, the less they'll look at you. The When puppies first come home, and this is why I can do my imprinting in a week. And people are like, how is that even possible? And I'm like, I don't know, read the testim testimonials on my website. When puppies first come home, they need to understand, are you more parent-like or are you more puppy-like? And they don't bond so much to us right away as they try to format their perspective and learn the new routines. So we have no fur. We do not bark. We don't make the same noise. We don't have a tail. We don't have ears. Those are all the dogs. A puppy's first language, right, is, is watching the posture and the subtle motions. We don't have any of it. They then try to determine, okay, the eyes are similar. Our, and, the phys, and the physical nature of our being is similar. So they're like, okay, puppies are constantly interacting, grabbing each other, making eye contact, body-body contact, and parents are more like matter-of-fact. There's some verbal uh, vocalizations. They have a lot of puppies. They do this thing. I call it the soothing. They lick the puppies, right? So when the puppy first comes home, the biggest mistake people make is they overstimulate them. They don't let them sleep enough, and they constantly are looking and picking up and engaging, then they call me wanting to know why the puppy's nipping so much. And I'm like, well, you are being perceived as a puppy to that puppy. So eye contact is really important. I can, and, 
And it will make sense when I explain it in a minute to you, but I can look at my dog, maybe give them a command, but staring at them, sit, sit, come, come, moving towards them, staring will cause distress. Or they'll simply think, I want to play, and then they'll get very physical. So eye contact is important. The, the sustained loving gazes should be really reserved for times that you're both in, in a restful space, not looking, what do you got? What do you give me the tissue? Give me this. Give me that. The dog will go crazy. And when you're constantly looking and grabbing things out of the dog's mouth, you're highlighting the dog's uh, focus on that object. So you're just going to lead to the dog picking everything up instead of here's your happy mat and here's a little toy basket full of your things. And then you know what? We're going to really keep things up for a week or two so the puppy doesn't get confused. So in terms of direct eye contact. So I'm talking to you now. Uh, my dog has been trained that if he wants attention, he sits next to me. He doesn't jump up in my face. And if he did jump up in my face, all I would do is take my hands and cover my face so that he would learn, oh, that doesn't work to get attention. If I want attention, I have to come over here to get it. He is gorgeous. He is so handsome. Very handsome. He says, I'm a German Shepherd and I have a curly tail and floppy ears. Oh, beautiful. He's a therapy dog. Therapeutic. He um he was came from a shelter and he had been kept in a very small box with his litter mates, so the, all their hips were just like completely mashed. But um he says I have hip dysplasia, but it's as good as it can be. We do a lot of homeopathic stuff. Red um red deer antler um red deer oil from uh, New Zealand. Check it out. It's the new um, cure all for. And, really? And yeah, my poor Benji, his arthritis is terrible. And we don't live too far away, so we have to meet in the middle for a play date with yes. our dog. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my God. I, I just think you're fabulous. I wish she lived next door so we could hang out. Oh my God. Would that be crazy? <laughs> we would be inseparable. Yes. I want you to tell us about Shabby, your childhood, oh. one of your childhood dogs. You know, it's funny because I'm writing. Um, a fictitious book, but it's going to be based on my life and what led me to dogs and training and kind of weave in my whole philosophy. And my goal is to tell it from the point of a dog, but you won't necessarily understand that. So of course my first template is, is shabby. And as I said, I had, um, uh, a, a human deprived childhood, but I still see my childhood as very good and I forgive, you know, life happens the way it does. But um, Shabby was our first dog and she, I was five. My older brother was home. I had very older brothers and um, I pulled her out of this little box of puppies that were at a local Indian reservation And from the time I picked her up until her very last breath, she was my shadow. There was nowhere I was that she wasn't. Um, There were no leash laws at the time. 
and she wasn't a perfect dog, right? I mean, she tipped over garbage cans. I had to go around the neighborhood and get everyone's garbage can. She killed, um, I think she killed someone's chicken. She was a husky mix. So she wasn't the perfect dog, but she was the perfect dog for me. And um, there was never a day I got off the bus that she wasn't at the bus stop. There wasn't a morning I walked to the bus that she didn't come with me. And she lived a long time. She lived um, 15 years. Oh, wow. And, um, and so I always call her kind of my mother because she taught me forgiveness. I, um, I was teased because I was very into dogs so i got called doggy um mm-hmm. things that that yeah i mean bullying is it teaches you a lot about human nature and the kind of human you don't want to be right um but i remember i came home one day and i was in tears and i had my book bag and i threw it down and she kept you know the thing dogs do where they paw at you for attention right. and nudge you and I just shoved her away as hard as I could because she was driving me crazy, kind of like Skippy is doing right now. <laughs> but, um, you know, I was just, I came home to a, a, there was never anybody at my house except my dogs. So I remember pushing her away and then being very mortified that I could push away my best friend like that. And she crawled under the chair where I was and she just laid her head in my lap. And it was just like, she's like, no, I, I get it. I forgive you. And to this day, that is my sign of forgiveness, you know, is you just pushed me away, but I'm just going to come back and I'm here when you need me. And so she, I, I mean, I guess I could call her my mother, but it might be real. I don't know. Anyhow, she taught me much more about living and being human than my mother was able to because of the pain and, you know, or her own life and needing to work all the time. Wow. You know, when you brought up Shabi, you had mentioned how, you know, back then you mentioned also a moment ago, there's no leash laws. You had a lot of time to hang out and you're, and you write in the book that, uh, quote, nowadays, dogs and kids rarely have the freedom to bond this way. The world today is different from when I was a child. We have computers. Most communities have leash laws. Uh, dogs left outside are stolen. People are even more dog phobic. And what are ways, and you have it in the book, but share a little bit about how to get your kids and your dogs to bond. Because they're, especially with social media, I mean, you know, you see a kid walking their dog and they're on their flipping phone. Like, they're not even present. Right. It's terrible. Yeah, and I, I, um... You know, there's a certain grace in knowing um, when you're beat in terms of um, the best way to get a child to bond with a dog is train that dog, sleep train that dog, and include that dog in as many family affairs as you can. Because children have a very low tolerance for stress. Note now, like when parents fight, we used to just leave the house. We'd leave the den to get away from it. Now kids put on headphones or they go in their room and and they feel solace on those devices. It's a good escape for them. In, in my day and age, you went on a walk or you went over to a neighbor's house. You connected with somebody. 
And um, so if you have a dog that's nipping, that's jumping on the counter, that's causing you to stress out and scream, it's stealing the napkins, it's barking at you during dinner time, the, dog's not, the child's not going to bond to that dog. And there are ways to... I just worked with a corgi yesterday. I wish I had a before and after video that two people had said to, um, it's too much dog for you. Somebody said it's, you know, I hate when people put negative, it's a brat, it's, it's yeah, dominant, too. all these negative things. It was the smartest dog in the world. I had that dog. All I did is every time it jumped on me, I'd cover my face. Every time it barked or jumped at the table, I just said, no, no, sweetie, go on your mat. I trained it on the mat. It picked everything up I had to teach it in minutes and it was flying over to its mat to get my attention by the end and it was not difficult it was just simple techniques and the people are so happy because everything they were told to do jerk the dog on a prong collar mm -hmm. and walk it like jer jerking it if it wasn't inside it's it's a quirky it wants to run around it wants to grab frisbees it wants oh, yeah. to engage and um, so really, if you want to reach children, you really have to provide a very stress-free existence and, and build, you know, have a dog that, that when they play their piano or they're doing their homework, sits on a mat, chews a bone. Um, uh, make the, you know, build in, okay, one of your uh, things you're going to do every day for the family, I hate to call it a chore, but... Because um, you don't want walking a dog is to just take the dog out. And and maybe if the dog doesn't walk well on a leash or is reactive on a leash, just take the dog um, and play fetch with a ball. And if it's a little dog and then it's winter time, you know, or you have a basement or you can teach the dog a trick or something. Like you don't have to make training so adverse that a child doesn't want to hurt their dog you can have the the kid do the trick training part the fun stuff the jumping over things um when when kids come to class i always have a prize box and even the 16 year olds and 17 year olds want little dog years and stuff like that and i often <laughs> get parents going we had the i had the most engaging conversation with my son on the way home like the way you put it and the way you think about it and that it was a positive experience and you didn't like make fun of our dog because they barked a lot in class made my kids feel so included in the process. Oh, that's great. Do you have any advice for a nine-year-old lab that is mouthy? Doesn't bite down. He just, when he greets people, he likes to put their hand in his mouth and then he pulls away, but people hate it and I don't blame him. What what is that? Is that just his way of like checking people out? Like he doesn't even like nibble. It just kind of right. It's it's <laughs> called the slobber greeting, the slobber touch. So you have a dog that is naturally oral. So it doesn't matter what time you teach these skills. You can teach them now. I would teach him a skill carry, and I do this. I had a la a golden here last week. You can see her on Instagram. Her name was Billy. Very oral very very oral always wanted to carry the leash in her mouth now again puppies that are all want to carry a leash in their mouth that's their passion so you don't teach you don't get mad and pull it out and create a focus what i did is um dogs don't like oregano oil they find the taste very offensive so you take some oregano oil you put it full strength on a napkin you hold it in front of their 
their face, they'll come and sniff it, and as they're sniffing it, and it's going to their brain, they will pull back because it's offensive. And then you just say, leave it, as they're pulling back, and then they, they learn that that intense scent and the word leave it are kind of paired, and then you dilute it down, just a few drops. You know dogs can smell a drop in a pool. So maybe five drops in a sprayer, uh, you know, medium-sized sprayer, and then you rub the, the you spray it on your arm, especially because good manners start at home. You should start this manner with you or with someone familiar that the dog knows. So you, you, you can have like a thing you put on your arm or you can just spray it on your sleeve. Um, and that's one part of it. The other part of it is teach him what to do first. So you have like at my doors, there's always, uh, there's a big basket of stuffed toys and balls and bones. So when you come in my house, my dogs feel a rush of adrenaline. That's normal. You're coming into their den. They're excited. Initially, you want to teach him carry. And um, with Billy, the dog that stayed here, I just took a sliver of newspaper and I folded it up into a neat little mouthable piece. And um, whether I was doing a favorite toy or I was taking her for a walk, um, I would use a sliver of paper, a toy, or a stick, and I would just say, Carrie, and I, and I would praise her because she likes to hold something in her mouth. And if she spit it out, I didn't make a big scene. I just picked it up and, and reintroduced it a little way down the road. And so she learned Carrie was a fun word, and it meant to carry something in her mouth. And even if she grabbed the leash, I would say carry. Um, so first you teach carry. Then you teach drop it, which, um, again, there's a how-to video online on how to teach drop it, my YouTube, my Instagram. Oh, um, with a puppy, you just take, um, you pack yourself like a little pinata with some treats, and then when they're chewing on a bone or playing with a toy, um, you just put the treat in front of their nose. As they spit out the object, you say, drop it. Then you can use a treat cup, also on, on my social media, to, if they're chewing a bone or carrying a toy, you can shake the treat cup, which they recognize as paired to a treat. Say, drop it, bleh, as they're spinning it out. And when you teach this young, it's there for life. Then you phase off the treats, but you still praise them. So now you've taught a carry and a drop it. You engage your boy in any activity where he could carry something. So if you're carrying in some groceries, you can give him a little bag and say carry. If oh, you're going so for a walk, you can give him a stick or um, a newspaper and encourage him to carry. Then you plant some uh, toys at that he loves. If he loves tennis balls, plant a little basket of toys at the front door. So every time you come in, you say, get your ball, get your ball. And so you're really driving. Listen, you love stuff in your mouth. I'm going to teach you all sorts of fun tricks and things you can do to engage your mouth. And then what I want you to do is take the oregano, get him to, to recognize the smell as adverse, which I described with the paper towel, full strength. You never shove it in his nose. You just let him smell it. And then you have a little sprayer by your front door that you spray your arm. And when he comes up and he grabs your 
arm, it's a distasteful thing. So you can say, leave it and then move on. Well, that's amazing. You know, it's funny because he does love to carry things around. Half my socks are missing and he luckily he doesn't eat them. He just drops them in different parts of the house. But one thing I thought was funny is when we got Blue, Blue learns things quickly. Within a week, he would notice that when someone came over, Benji would put something in his mouth to bring to the person and then he would drop it and then melt them. But I got to work. I'm going to work on that. Blue, literally in like a week, Blue, when someone would come to the door, he would run around the house looking for something to bring. Exactly. That's how they do things here. I tell everybody, put a little basket of toys in all the room you share. Because then your dog knows what to grab. Because we do things with our hands when we're nervous or when we're anxious. Dogs need to put things in their mouth. Have a fester chew. If you're having like a party or somebody's coming to the house and they have to work and it's going to disrupt your dogs, give them a really special chew. They can just chew off. Yeah, this is great. Okay, first of all, you got to come back. There's still so much more to talk about. And I know you have a lot of books and I want to talk to you about all of them. I just want to tell people this really is everything you need to know. The book again is Puppies for Dummies, fourth edition. Understand your puppy's actions, use positive reinforcement techniques for training, redirect problem behaviors. I think the book was like 500 pages and I read the whole book and I learned so much and you've given me the confidence today and from reading your book that maybe I will get a pit because I want a little pit puppy someday. Oh yeah. And I want you to take him first, (laughs) do the sleep thing and then we'll take it from there. But is there anything else you wanted to add today? No, that's what people love the most when I send their puppies home, that they're sleeping through the night, that they have kind of a handle on housebreaking because with my four dogs showing That's what I was going to ask about. Big grass. And that they're well socialized to dogs of all ages because a thir- my 13-year-old dog doesn't want any puppy nipping on her tail, whereas Peekaboo is my youngest, plays with them all day, and Skippy is like the saint. We call him Saint Skippy. He just babysits them all. So, no, I love what I do. I'm happy to help anybody. It's, it's not rocket science, and don't believe everything you see or read. All right. Well, I think you're incredible. Tell us all the ways we can find you. I I think I'm following you on Instagram, but I got to make sure. I got to see these videos. Um, I'm out there on all the social media. It's Sarah Says Pets. Um, You can hop on my website, which is either sarahsayspets.com or simply my name.com. And my books, YouTube. I'm out there. Oh, great. Well, this has been so much fun. I can't wait to have you back. Puppies for Dummies, fourth edition. You wrote them all. That is really impressive. I had so much fun today. I can't wait to have you back. I feel like I made a new friend. Yes. I, I was about to say, I love when that happens. Sometimes it's like one way. I'm like, oh, we should hang out. And the guest is like, yeah. anyway, uh, hmm. yeah. I'm like, oh man, I thought we like totally hit it off. Okay. So uh, follow me to see Blue and Benji at Lisa Davis MPH on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. And keep coming back to Dog Eared, rate, review, and subscribe.